Happy Indigenous Peoples Day to all you Indigenous peoples, all you civilized people. It's still Columbus Day. Harvey Weinstein has been fired, and you probably, if you're not here in Hollywood, you do not know. This is the man that Meryl Streep called God. God was fired because God was chasing women around his hotel room naked. And we're going to talk about, listen, everything is going wrong for the left. The NFL is losing all its audience. Uh, the late night comedies is, I mean, Jay Leno, Jay Leno basically almost had alone the audience that all the late night comedians have. The left is, lo- this, this is actually actually a big story. It's a big story and a lot of people on the right don't see it. The left is losing its grip on the culture and the question is, are we on the right just going to sit here and mock them or are we going to sit here and mock them and then start to build a culture of our own? We don't we do not want to leave out the mocking. What else? I saw Blade Runner and I'll talk about it. Did you see Blade Runner, Mathis? You loved it. Okay, I'll talk about that. And, and I will tell you, I will defame the indigenous people and tell you why I refuse to say goodbye, Columbus. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zipity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, before we get started in the news, I have to give you the Facebook post that made my weekend, all right? This is from, I, I, I guess I can say his name since it's right on Facebook, Andrew Ortega. He was listening to Jordan Peterson, who we had on the show once. We should have him on again, yeah. And he says that watching Jordan Peterson was a gateway drug to Christianity. He says, I have given myself to Christ, and it wouldn't have happened without Jordan. I used to be a regular porn and weed-addicted atheist like everyone else, miserable and sordid, nihilistic and self-righteous in my surety of the meaninglessness of the universe. But after becoming addicted to... uh, Jordan Peterson in biblical lectures, I moved quickly up to the harder stuff. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, William Lane Craig, even Andrew Claven. Now, I, I, love, I love the even because what I want to know is did he read the Gospels and then even even went higher to the Andrew Claven show? Or did he read the Gospels and then just kept sinking until he read even, even the depths of Andrew Claven? He says, uh, he says, what now I've given my life to Jesus Christ and try as I might, I can't get my despair back. I can't stop smiling, loving my family and the people around me praising God for his goodness. Do not let this happen to you. If you listen to the show, it could happen to you. Also, some people have been asking me, why are we not doing uh, an, an opening monologue? Last week, it was because of the shooting. It just didn't feel right to be kidding around. But it also, it just feels more organic to start it this way. So what we're going to do is we're going to do some opening monologues and post them on social media. How do they find them? Like, do they just pop up on Facebook? They'll be on Facebook. They'll be on Facebook. And if you send them to me, I will put them on my Twitter page, which is at Andrew Claven. No, we'll think about it. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Some of you are also wondering, uh, why are you here and not at the post office waiting online and just to have the window close in your face just as you get there? Or even in line if you're wearing skates online. And the reason is because I've got stamps.com. I'm no fool. I don't just like, do all 
this stuff on the internet at a million miles a second and suddenly stop and get in my car and drive to the post office and wait for it to open and stand on the line. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. It Stamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale so you automatically can calculate exact postage, and they'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You know, it's kind of silly to, to keep living in the 20th century. We are so far beyond the 20th century now. It's time to get Stamps.com, and you can enjoy Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. And the reason you do that is not just to get the deal. It's also to tell them I sent you so they know. Stamps.com, enter Clavin, Stamps.com, and you never have to go to the post office again. Harvey Weinstein abused women. Like, this is the New York Times broke the story. And everybody's shocked. Let me tell you, Meryl Streep says, I didn't know. I, did, I knew. Let me, I knew. I'm a screenwriter. I mean, there's no lower person. On, the guy who cleans your office at the end of the day is higher up the feeding chain than a screenwriter in Hollywood. I knew. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, I mean, let me, let me talk for a minute about me in Hollywood. You know, at the beginning of this year, I basically made a New Year's resolution that I was going to stop. I was in Harvey, I was in the Weinstein Company Two weeks ago, I was there. Um, but I basically made a New Year's resolution that I was going to stop pitching so much stuff, stop writing spec stuff, because I feel my politics has made me so toxic that there's really not a lot of chance of selling stuff, and I was only going to do it if I had some reason, specific reason, to do a, a particular project. I still do it a little bit. But, you know, this is one of the reasons Knowles and I are doing Another Kingdom. We're doing this uh, podcast, Another Kingdom, is because I want to, you know, I do I do write novels. I still write these stories, and I want to get them out there. Knowles, by the way, I should add, is not, he's still not here, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is my reaction to that. I want that son of a dead. I want him dead. I want him dead. I'm kidding. What show? am I, alone in this world? Did I ask no. you what you're trying to no, do? Did I ask no, you what no, you're no, trying to do? Please. I want you to get this where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to f*** out of the Something about Knowles just ticks me off. <laughs> it's, it's not the hammering. Anyway, anyway. So the New York Times runs this story, right? That, that for years, Harvey Weinstein, and if you're not in Hollywood and you don't care about Hollywood, the reason they call Harvey Weinstein God is because he is the head of the First Miramax, then the Weinstein Company, the biggest independent producer out there. So he's not making the Star Wars or Spider-Man picture, but he's making Shakespeare in Love. He's making, oh man, he made everything. I can't, I can't even think. I mean, if it's, if it's not a superhero movie, he probably had his fingerprint on it somewhere. What was the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck picture that made them both stars? Goodwill Hunting, he made that. I mean, he's just made, yeah, Pulp Fiction, another one. I mean, it's just, his name is on everything. So, so all I want to say about this to begin with, so the Times runs this piece, all these different women, usual thing, invites them up, they're, pe they're actresses, some of them, 
relatively big actresses. They come up to his room, his hotel room. He shows up naked or he asks for a massage or he asks them to, why do they always have such weird things? Why don't they just ask for sex? Like if it, yeah. if it were me, if I, if I was like an abusive, powerful guy, just give me sex, you know? Like these guys, it's like, he says, you want to watch me shower? I, I, even I don't want to watch me shower. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm in and out of the shower so fast. But this is what, you know, this is a strange obsession. He wanted to be massaged. He wanted to have people watch him shower. shower. But the one thing about this is it's everybody's saying, oh, this is finally a feminist moment, the great feminist moment. Everything's going to turn now. For finally, powerful men are not going to abuse a powerless women. I mean, this is a town filled with the most beautiful most insecure women on earth who want to make a profession out of being loved, right? And they go to these powerful guys, and these guys say, yeah, I'll give you a part, but you got to do all this stuff. That's never going to stop. It's never going to go away. It's a crime for which every man has a motive, right? So they're going to be guys who abuse it. But the thing about Harvey Weinstein is everybody knew he was abusive to everybody. And by the way, like I said, I was pitching something in his office two weeks ago, just my saying this will be the end of that. They fired him today, but don't think he's gone. Do not think he's gone. This is ridiculous. I mean, the guy's a very, very powerful guy. And that's why nobody, the New York Times ran a story this morning basically saying they could not get anybody to go on the record. And one guy says, says to the reporter, silence is complicity. And she said, will you go on the record? No. <laughs> It's classic. It's classic. So just to give you... Oh, and also about the feminist thing, about the women thing, there is a very, very powerful gay mafia here that reputedly abuses boys, too. And like, and Weinstein, like I said, he abused men. I knew guys who worked for Harvey Weinstein. It, it was apparently, you know, I can't say too much because I don't have it have the proof, but apparently it was a very, very frightening experience. And he, you know, he had the reputation. The reputation was he yelled at people, he threw things at people. You know, he was he was a big, you know, burly guy and all that. He is a big burly guy. So the New York Times had this story uh, that two decades ago, the Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein invited Ashley Judd, the actress, to the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel for what the young actress expected to be a business breakfast meeting. Instead, he had her sent up to his room where he appeared in a bathroom and asked if he could give her a massage or she could watch him shower. And she was thinking, how do I get out of the room as fast as possible without alienating Harvey Weinstein? Now, this is 20 years later she comes out with this. She doesn't tell anybody. 20. She told the story at one point, but not uh, giving his Weinstein's name. So here is Donald Trump. He's getting on his he's getting on his helicopter, and they ask him uh, what he what he thinks about the Weinstein story. This is cut number one. I've known uh, Harvey Weinstein for a long time. I'm not at all surprised to see it. And and then they asked him why did Ashley Judd and all these other women uh, keep quiet all this time? It's cut four. You're a star. They let you do it. You can do anything. <laughs> Whatever you want. Grab him by the. I can do anything. <laughs> so, so Trump was right all along. <laughs> and now all these people on the right, <laughs> they're saying, you know, well, Donald Trump just talked about it. Uh, I'm not buying that either. And Donald Trump, you know, he was talking to that Axis Hollywood. He was talking about actually doing stuff. He doesn't sound like he was as abusive. And they don't have this train. What they found on Harvey Weinstein was this trail of payoffs, of six-figure payoffs to all these women to keep them quiet. But again, like I said, I don't know why he wasn't paying off the men as well. You know, I mean, this is this is like, you know, people, he, 
This is who this guy was. And, and by the way, not just, it, not, it's not just Hollywood being incredibly, incredibly complicit and hip, hypocritical about this. It's the New York Times. The New York Times had this story in 2004. Sharon Waxman writing at The Wrap, which I think is CNN's showbiz page. She says, in 2004, I was still a fairly new reporter at The New York Times when I got the green light to look into oft-repeated allegations of sexual misconduct by Weinstein. Uh, she got the story. She found out he had a guy on his payroll who was procuring him women and he was abusing women. And, and she says, after intense pressure from Weinstein, <clears throat> which included having Matt Damon and Russell Crowe call me directly to vouch for this procurer he'd hired and unknown discussions well above my head at the Times, the story was gutted. So everybody, everybody was keeping this thing quiet. All this stuff, I mean, this is, this is a major, major story, not because he's going away, but remember Harvey Weinstein came out when Roman Polanski was picked up, where was he picked up, in Switzerland or Sweden? Uh, you know, Roman Polanski, who raped a 13, drugged a 13, I'm talking off the top of my head now, 13 or 15 years old, she was a teenage girl, drugged her, sodomized her, was base, basically like ran away, he was a fugitive, so he got picked up overseas, Harvey Weinstein, Woody Allen, all these guys said, oh, the poor Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski has been giving, given an Oscar, and other women have come out and said he did the same thing. So this is an absolute culture of corruption out here. This is a culture where, you know, like I said, there's a lot of beautiful women who want stuff, a lot of powerful guys who've got stuff. What do you think they're going to trade it for? Even Weinstein put out this statement when he got caught by the New York Times. See, this is the other thing about Weinstein. He is a huge huge Democrat donor. So this is the this is the entire complex, right? This is the media Democrat complex. I mean, we've been talking all this time about, you know, every every late night uh, comedian left wing, every movie, every uh, Oscar show, we have to listen to their left wing. They're lecturing us. They're lecturing us because we're not as good as they are. They are. We're not as wise as they are. They know what a terrible, terrible mistake we made when we elected Trump. They know that everything we want is racist and terrible and sexist. This, these are these people. <laughs> these are these people. This is a huge Democrat donor. So Harvey, in one of these amazing moments of self-revelation, puts out this statement in which he starts by apologizing and then he tries to buy his way out of it. Listen to what he says. He says, I came of age in the 60s and 70s when all the rules about behavior and workplaces were different. Let's stop right there, okay? Because this, again, this is not a feminist issue. This is a human issue. You don't treat women like this because, because women are people. It's not, you know, it's not, that, you, it's not that you don't mistreat them because they're women. You don't mistreat them because they're human beings, moron. You know, it's like there was no culture. There was never a culture before like ancient days there was never a culture in america where you thought like oh yeah let's abuse women you know and people thought like good idea they may have said it behind the scenes but there was never a time when that was acceptable to civilized decent human being you don't treat people like that you know come and watch me shower I mean, I, I'd say that to Mathis, but that's a, per, that's a personal thing between the two of <laughs> But anyway, so he goes on. He says, I've since learned it's not an excuse in the office or out of it to anyone. I realized some time ago that I needed to be a better person. How long does it take to figure out that you need to be a better person? Is there anybody who doesn't need to be a better person? All right, but my interactions with the people I work with have changed. 
I appreciate the way I've behaved with colleagues in the past has caused a lot of pain, and I sincerely apologize for it. Though I'm trying to do better, I know I have a long way to go. That is my commitment. My journey now will be to learn about myself and conquer my demons. Trust me, this isn't an overnight process. I've been trying to do this for 10 years, and this is a wake-up call. I cannot be more remorseful about the people I hurt, and I plan to do right by all of them. Okay, that's the apology part, right? Then, by the way, later he goes on, threatens to sue the New York Times, and he denies a lot of the stuff. But then he says, same statement, I am going to need a place to channel that anger. And this is in the heat of the uh, Vegas shooting. I'm going to need a place to channel that anger, so I've decided that I'm going to give the NRA my full attention. I hope Wayne LaPierre will enjoy his retirement party. I'm going to do it the same I had... I'm going to do his retirement party at the same place I had my bar mitzvah. I'm making a movie about our president. Perhaps we can make it a joint retirement party. I mean, this is garbage. This is like, don't hate me, I'm a Democrat. Don't hate me, I'm a liberal. And, you know, the, the whole thing in the New York Times piece, the whole idea in the New York Times piece is to emphasize again and again, it says in the original Times piece, how much power he had and how little power the women had, right? So he, to keep you from saying, well, why didn't the women object? Why didn't they walk out? And, and listen, Harvey Weinstein in this business, people, I cannot tell you. It's, it's funny because I was dragged into working in Hollywood. I never wanted to be in the movies. I only wanted to be a novelist. Even when I did it, I did it in my spare time. I must have sold. I, I haven't, I've lost count of how many scripts I've sold or optioned, but it's probably around 20, something like that. But between the books and everything like that, I, I've sold it, but it's all been in my spare time because I never really want. But people want this so badly. They need it. They need to fill a hole in themselves. They need to be famous. They need to have people love them. You know, that's, that's what motivates a lot of these people. So they emphasize this, but did they emphasize that when Bill Clinton, the most powerful man on earth, was getting oral sex from a woman who could have been his daughter? I mean, she had zero power, but then suddenly it was, well, it was a, you know, they agreed. It was a, it was fine. It was a consensual relationship. They defended him. There were women, there were journalists, female journalists saying, oh, I'd, I'd do that just to protect my abortion rights. So it's like, it's complete, complete hypocrisy. Let me stop right there for a minute and just talk about something else. I have to talk about Skillshare. I was saying before that Knowles and I are doing this podcast, and it has been, we've been talking, we were talking about how difficult it's been. Knowles believes that the devil is after us. I'm absolutely sure he's right. You know, the devil is trying to stop this podcast, and we've had all kinds of things. So I started to go on Skillshare to look at how do you do a podcast? And that sounds silly because I'm doing this podcast, but I'm surrounded, you know, they're not bright, they're not intelligent, you know, they're not talented people, but I'm surrounded by people. They're doing, some of you guys are doing something, right? <laughs> I know somebody's doing something here, but I didn't have to figure out how to do this stuff. I just had to come in here and talk, and, and talk, but this, doing it myself. So I went on Skillshare, and sure enough, a whole array of videos. What Skillshare is, is a, it's got 3 million members, more than 17,000 classes. It's the Netflix for online learning. It is a series of videos on just about anything. You can take classes in graphic design, DSLR photography, social media marketing, digital illustration, and they're, and they're taught by industry experts and experienced professionals. Perfect if you're looking to build your career or start some, some side hustle of, of your dreams. You can have, you, they've got dope design, photography, marketing, entrepreneurship, and other stuff like just hobbies like music and stuff like that, and, you know, things you might want to do like calligraphy, hand lettering. 
Skillshare is giving my listeners a one-month free trial of unlimited access to over 17,000 classes. Go to www.skillshare.com Andrew and you'll get a free month. And again, put that name in there so they know that I am sending you. They've got classes on just about everything. You can learn a whole new profession or you can learn like me to do the profession that you're already doing. Let me just uh, end this part about uh, Harvey Weinstein with a little bit from Ross Douthat, the New York Times, the one truly semi-conservative uh, columnist at Knucklehead Row at the New York Times. He says, maybe Harvey's overdue exposure shows that the world has changed and progressive industries are finally feminist enough to put their old goats out to pasture. But it might just show that a certain kind of powerful liberal creep only gets his comeuppance when he's weakened or old or in the grave. The awfulness of Ted Kennedy at Chappaquiddick and after hours in D.C. can be acknowledged only now that he's no longer a liberal lion in the Senate. The possibility that Bill Clinton might be not just an adulterer but a rapist can be entertained now that he's no longer protecting abortion from the White House. The sins of Woody Allen, well, I'm sure Hollywood will start ostracizing him any day now. But the point is, we see it. That's the point. They're not, you know, Saturday Night Live, not one joke about Harvey Weinstein, not one. And you know what Lauren Michael said? Well, it's just a New York story. I mean, this is the biggest movie maker on the planet. You know, this is ridiculous. It's just a New York story. Jimmy Kimmel, did Jimmy Kimmel go out and cry for the women who got molested? But I'm crying for the women who got molested by Harvey Weinstein. Nothing from Jimmy Kimmel. These guys are fakes. They're phonies. They're cowards. Every single one of them. And speaking of Ted Kennedy, I, I have to play this. This is... When Ted Kennedy died, I no nobody cared. I mean, when Reagan died, people poured into the street grieving. When Ted Kennedy died, it was like, eh. <laughs> but the press covered it like something truly tragic had happened. Here is just a sample I took from ABC News' coverage of his death. Listen to the incredible, it's like a, a hagiography. It's like they're burying a saint. Today, the world reacted to the passing of Senator Ted Kennedy, the White House, lowered the flag to half-staff as President Obama called Kennedy the greatest senator of our time. The funeral is planned for this Saturday in Boston, and then later at Arlington National Cemetery, the last son of Camelot will be laid to rest next to his brothers, and that will be his sanctuary in death. And yet again tonight, our eyes turn to the Kennedy family sanctuary, their compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts, where they've united and rejoiced in good times and searched for solace after great tragedy. They gather there now for Teddy, as David Wright reports. Today, outside the Kennedy compound, the flags were at half-staff again. The satellite trucks on Marchant Avenue parked uncomfortably close, the reporters outside peering in as the Kennedys gathered behind closed doors to mourn another loss. So I just want to remind you, okay, I just want to bring this back up because people know that Ted Kennedy, they know about Chappaquiddick, they know that he drove a young girl, he drove his car into the water and a young girl died, Mary Jo Kopechny. She was, when she was found, she was not wearing any underwear, which is suggestive that perhaps uh, he was screwing around with her as he was with virtually any woman who came anywhere near him. But people don't remember. He, Kennedy went and got a couple of friends to kind of go into the water. This is what he said. Then he went back to his hotel. He swam back to his hotel, right? 
he got there at, at around 2.30 in the morning, and the friend said, well, we thought he was going to call the police. They didn't call the police, and Kennedy didn't call the police. At around 3 in the morning, he called the hotel owner to complain that there was a noisy party that woke him up. At 7.30 in the morning, right, all this time she's down there underwater, he was talking casually to the winner of the previous day's sailing race. Didn't say anything. 8 a.m., right, the guys who were out with him the night before, they came and showed up, and they said, did you, you know, call the police? No, didn't call the police. He said, what, what did he say? He said, I was, you know, I was... Uh, I was thinking about my own thoughts and feelings as I swam across the channel and hoping that somehow when they arrived in the morning they were going to tell me that Mary Jo was still alive. Meanwhile, John Farrar, the captain of the fire rescue team who dove down, okay, and got the body, he said it looked as if she were holding herself up to get a last breath of air. It was a consciously assumed position because, you know, when you go into a, a into the drink in a car, the car fills with water and the air gets pushed up so you can stay alive a little bit longer by saying in the air pocket, you float up into the air pocket. Okay, he says, it looks as if it was a consciously assumed position. She didn't drown. She died of suffocation in her own air void. It took at least three or four hours to die. And this rescue guy says, I could have had her out of that car 25 minutes after I got the call, but he didn't call. Okay, that was the great, that's the guy Barack Obama called the greatest senator of our time. Hey, before I uh, say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, I want to make sure that you get a good night's sleep. Now, I don't sleep, but I do go to bed, and so I need to be comfortable, okay? I need to be comfortable because I'm up all night long. Right? Now, there are a million online mattress retailers, but what do they do? They sell one size to everybody. They figure everybody needs the same mattress. Maybe they make a good one, maybe they don't, but they're just going to sell you one mattress. But Helix Sleep offers something that doesn't exist anywhere else, a mattress that is personalized to your unique preferences and sleeping style, and it won't set you back thousands of dollars. Go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N, take their simple two to three minute sleep quiz, and they will build a custom mattress that will be the best thing you've ever slept on. And for couples, they'll even personalize each side of the mattress. It has to do with the materials, how soft it is, how hard it is. Everyone from GQ to Cosmopolitan to the New York Times are all talking about Helix. And once you try it out, you will know why. Your custom mattress arrives direct to your door in a week and shipping is completely free. Try it for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund it in full. Go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin right now and you'll get 50 bucks towards your custom mattress. This mattress is much cheaper than it would be if you went and bought it in a store. Plus, if you've ever bought a mattress in a store, you know it's not that much fun. Helixsleep.com slash Clavin. You'll get $50, $50, not 50%, $50 off your order. Helixsleep.com slash Clavin. We got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to thedailywire.com and you can hear the rest of the show or... You could subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month. You could watch the whole thing right there, and we would not be kicking you out into the exterior darkness where there is great wailing and gnashing of teeth and no leftist tears tumbler, which, if you subscribe for a year, it costs 100 lousy bucks, and you get the leftist tears tumbler, which fills up automatically with leftist tears every time I speak. Come on over to thedailywire.com. So Mike Pence, go, he used to be the governor of Indiana, goes to the Colts game, Colts 49ers, walks into the game, 
the, the 49ers are still kneeling over the flag, and Pence leaves. Pence and his wife walk out of the game in protest of their protest, of their disrespecting the flag. Trump tweets, I asked him to do that. I asked Pence to leave if there was a problem, and he did. I want you to listen to MSNBC on the Morning Joe show, how, how they commented on this, and then I'll tell you what I think of their comment. Utterly appalling, wasteful, profligate, disgusting behavior and, from and the vice president. Trump's you ought to be ashamed of himself. And people of Indiana were welcoming Pence back. It's sad. It's sad to, you know, a native son who's made it really big time going home and the whole state, I'm sure, wants to celebrate and Ugh. welcome him. And then they're just part of being a political prop. It's sick and it's, it's sad terrible. and it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. And not, and not for nothing. <laughs> that is what a pig sounds like when you stick it. That is the left understanding that Donald Trump is beating them at the culture game. And what is driving me a little bit nuts is the people on the right saying, oh, I'm so sick of talking about the NFL. This isn't important. Let's move on to important things. This is the culture. All this time, all this time we've been talking about, oh, they own the culture, they own the culture. And what happens is, you know, we don't see the change because the culture is like, Water, you know, when you stand on the beach and the waves come in under your feet and you can feel the sand as the, as the water goes out, you can feel the sand eroding underneath your feet as the sand is carried away. That's what the culture does. What the culture does is one day you wake up and a proto-socialist like Barack Obama is elected president. Because, why? Because he's black and he seems like a good guy and everybody's going to love, love him and never say a bad thing about him. Because of his race, I don't care a whit about his race. It was his socialism that I didn't like. That's what the culture does. When you start to hear uh, college kids saying, yeah, socialism, not so bad, that Bill Maher can go on TV and saying, you love socialism, as if, as if that were a good thing, as if that weren't a sign that people will sell their freedom for a loaf of bread, which they will. You know, I mean, this is the, what the culture does. This is is important. It is important and it's working. Football is losing its popularity. Football used to be America's sport. It used to be the big sport because of these anti-national anthem protests and President Trump calling them out on it because ESPN wouldn't do it. None of the sportscasters would do it because he called them out on it. They are tanking. They're, I think their uh, ratings went down another 3% over Sunday. Was it, It's another 3% and it was 10% before. It's, uh, this used to be this used to be the thing. They are destroying their brand. And the thing is, this is and this is happening on the late night show too, the late night comedy shows. I think they now have a total audience of 8 million. Leno used to have 6 million alone. And of course, Johnny Carson ruled the airwaves. I don't know what his ad, but everybody watched Carson. The thing is, they they basically are retreating into their own little pocket of self-congratulatory happy talk. They're all saying, oh, but aren't we wonderful? Aren't we wonderful? But we see them. We see what's going on. We see that their Harvey Weinsteins are pigs. We see that their Bill Clintons are pigs. We see that Hillary Clinton protected those pigs and continued to do it. We see that he, she took Weinstein's money. He, he must have spent at least half a million dollars on all these left-wing causes. I mean, we see them, and we see what the football players are doing. And listen, they have the right to protest, but the protest is wrong. I've said this before, that what they're doing is wrong because what binds us, what makes us care about what they care about is the fact that we're all under that same flag. Donald Trump called them out, and everybody is complaining about it. If, 
if this was a uh, setup, which I think it seems to have been that Pence kind of knew this was going to happen when he went there, all the better, all the better. If this was a setup job, all the better. If these, this is the voice of ordinary Americans speaking the only way they have left, right? Because the Hollywood is gone. They don't have any friends in Hollywood. They don't have any friends in, in the Academy. They don't have any friends in the news media except at Fox. This is the only way they can be heard from the biggest bully pulpit in the world. And Trump is letting them be heard. And it is changing the culture. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we should react to that. First, let's talk about Blade Runner. I went to, let's play the uh, trailer. Do we have the, this is the new Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. And before you play it, I want you to think about this for a minute. This Blade Runner takes place 30 years after the first Blade Runner. That means the first Blade Runner, do you, if you remember the Blade Runner with the uh, amazing L.A. has been completely corrupted, it's got a million buildings, the ads are 5,000 feet you know, high, where we've got they're, the whole plot of the story was they're building replicants to work on our colonies on other planets. 30 years before 2049 is 2019. It's two years from now. So a complete misimagining of the future. Complete. But here's 2049. Uh, they're coming back to this story. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. The world is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. You're a cop. I had your job once. I was good at it. I know. What do you want? So... And that's Harrison Ford. He was the original Blade Runner, and now he comes back. I, I, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was a good movie. It's beautiful. I mean, if you can see, if you were still watching and you could see the trailer, it looks unbelievable. And Dennis Villeneuve, is that how he pronounce it? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Uh, he is an excellent director. Uh, he did uh, Arrival, but he did, oh, he did that Prisoners, which I just loved. Uh, Sicario, yeah. love that. And Sicario, he's a really good director. And there's a, an actress in it who plays the villainous Sylvia Hoeks, I'll say it, H-O-E-K-S. She steals the entire movie. I mean, she's the best thing in the movie. It's a little arty and slow, a little arty and slow. I thought it's like two hours and 40 minutes. I thought it could easily have dropped 30 minutes, like with a few less visuals, a few get to the point, you know, plot points. The plot is excellent. I thought the plot was really well done. Few, too few relationships to fill it up. But I went back and I watched the original Blade Runner. That movie is a classic, and I had, first of all, don't watch the director's cut and don't watch the final cut. Watch the original movie. Watch the original movie, because I, I, I can tell you, I, I'm guessing, but I can, I'm almost sure this is what happened. The original movie has a voiceover in it, where Harrison Ford kind of gives this tough guy a talk, and it must have, they must have forced it on Ridley Scott. 
that he must have made into it because he explains all this stuff that a reasonably intelligent viewer can get without him saying it. And so you feel a little bit insulted. Your intelligence is insulted. And the studio must have come in and said, I don't get it. I don't get it. you got to explain things. i got to be a voiceover. And it must have driven Ridley Scott crazy. So he put out his own cut. His own cut is slow and boring. With the voiceover, the thing about the voiceover is that it gives it the feel of a 1950s tough guy picture, even though it is, it is a little silly at times, but it really gives it a terrific feel. Every shot in this movie is a work of genius. I mean, I don't know what happened to him. He doesn't make movies like this anymore. I mean, Al yeah, Alien was great. This was great. I, Gladiator, I like him. It's not that. But, right. but, the, but the incredible care that goes into every shot, every line, the script is wonderful. The glasses that Harrison Ford drinks out of, like, are just beautifully made. The entire imagination of the world is really just an amazing picture, and the, uh, and the love story is just absolutely fascinating and gripping. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I turned it on. I thought, I ought to go back and watch this just to remind myself. It's, it's approximately 10 times the movie the sequel is. I mean, it's just this one, the, the sequel is good good movie if you have three hours to kill you know you can go and watch it but it this this movie is unbelievable the original Blade Runner is terrific all right let's take a look at our crappy culture now Let's talk about Indigenous Peoples Day, all right? Because this is in California. They actually, it's now officially an Indigenous Peoples Day because they look at Columbus as, oh, the terrible white Christian imperialist coming over and killing the nice, wonderful, uh, you know, Indigenous peoples. Now, all of that is debunked. I think uh, Michael Knowles actually has a good piece, uh, hard to believe. It's written in crayon, but it's, uh, <laughs> it is, you know, well, you know, Knowles, you got to give him a break sometimes. Uh, it's, uh, I want him dead. I want his family dead. Anyway, <laughs> he wrote a good piece uh, showing that Columbus was, in, in, as he was, an incredible navigator, a heroic, heroic sailor who braved, I mean, just incredible, you know, those ships were like the size of my desk that they were sailing in. They sailed across an ocean not knowing what they would find. Unbelievable. He was a much better governor than people give him credit for. A lot of the atrocities that were committed against the natives, he was fighting against a lot of the time. But that is not the point. That is not, I mean, I think that's all true, but it's not the point. The point is the this myth of the noble savage, okay? Here is a weird thing I want you to think about. People who believe in Christianity, who at least have some connection to the story of Adam and Eve, some people think it's literally true, some people like me think it is the most profound uh, story about human nature ever told, doesn't matter. People who are invested in Adam and Eve look to the future, right? We look to the future. If you think about Paradise Lost, the greatest poem ever, one of the greatest poems in the English language about Adam and Eve, it ends with this kind of hopeful note of, of Adam and Eve wandering off to, into the world, to, to start history, to begin history. We look to the future, not just in the future life, not just the life after death, but we look to a fu the future of man. We think that man can be better, that he is moving back toward the garden through the knowledge of good and evil, going back to God and the paradise. If, then if you look at people who, whose only hope is Darwin, who believe in only in evolution, that evolution is a random process. I believe in evolution, but I just don't think it's a random process. I don't know how you would even know it was a random process. All you can say is it looks random to us. Just like, you know, when I, when I go in and clear out an ant's nest in my house, it looks random to them. It looks like a random disaster. They don't know what I'm doing. They haven't got any idea of my purpose. I, I don't know why they think it's random, but they say it looks random to them. 
why is it they are the ones who talk about the noble savage, you know? They, they believe that if you could just, if we could just go back, things were wonderful before we got there. Before the white man came, oh, it was wonderful. You know, let me, let me give you Darwin. <coughs> you know, he made those great, uh, those fantastic journeys on the Beagle, the HMS Beagle. And that's how he gathered all the information for his, his theory. One of the Three of the passengers on the Beagle were from Tierra del Fuego, and they were natives who had been brought to England and kind of anglified, and they had been dressed up and kind of half mockingly, but also sort of seriously. They, I think, they'd met the king and everything, and they came. And they part of the job of the Beagle was to bring them back to Tierra del Fuego. When Darwin got there, he saw the natives, the indigenous peoples. Okay, and Darwin was often attacked for believing man was descended from the ape, right? They would say, you know, was it on your mother's side or your father's side that you were descended from the ape? Whatever. So he looked at the natives of Tierra del Fuego, and this is what he said. These men were absolutely naked and bedaubed with paint. Their long hair was tangled, their mouths frothed with excitement, and their expression was wild, startled, and distrustful. They possessed hardly any arts, and like wild animals lived on what they could catch. They had no government and were merciless to everyone not of their own small tribe. I would as soon be descended from an old baboon as from a savage who delights to torture his enemies, offers up bloody sacrifices, practices infanticide without remorse, treats his wives like slaves, knows no decency, and is haunted by the grossest superstition, happy indigenous people's day from Charles Darwin. You know, this was a myth. A lot of times they blame Rousseau for the myth of the noble savage, but I, I, you know, I always know, that's how I always know when I'm reading a book that the guy hasn't actually read Rousseau because this happens a lot. He never said it. He ne that was not his theory. His theory was a lot more complicated than that. But this was a theory that people began to have as civilization advanced, okay? And who guys like Dickens used to hate Charles Dickens would, would talk about the Indians and they would say oh the Indians we're talking about the American Indians and they would say oh the Indians these are the noble savage this is what people could be if we could just strip them of civilization and he was like the best thing that could happen to these people is that they be civilized on, out of existence. Steven Pinker the science writer he gives a TED talk about violence and how we've gotten less violent as we've become more civilized. We have that chart there's a, he, had, he has a chart. This I got this chart from uh, Pinker. Right. Here is the best they can judge of native peoples before civilization and how many, what percentage of, of their men were killed in warfare. At the worst, it's 60%. Over half the men were killed in war, warfare. And if, depending on the tribe, it gets less and less until the least tribe, the Jabusi, is under 10%. Then you look down at Europe and the US in the 20th century, okay? Now we're talking about death camps, we're talking about the atom bomb, we're talking about World War One and World War Two. The percentage of male deaths is, it looks like about 3%, 3%. Civilization, for all its discontents, for all its mechanisms, for all its mechanisms of death, doesn't kill people is not as violent, is not as savage. You know, Mona Sharon was talking about this, Mona Sharon was talking about this on Thursday, about the fact that, that women have won such 
victories in the way that men and women interact. You know, apes, these apes that were supposed to be descended from, the men beat the women, the male apes beat the women, and the women search for the ape that beats her the most because she knows that's the guy who can defend her children. And she tries to sleep with as many as these of these big bruisers as she can so they won't kill her child because a lot of times the apes get jealous and they'll kill the child so they the mother will go back into heat again and they can get her pregnant instead of the other guy, who got, the other ape who got her pregnant. You know, this is what we come from. This is what we're descended from, from people who act like that. And, and it's, you know, if we have gotten better, it's because of consciousness. It's because of civilization. It's because of giving women rights and listening to what is going on, you know, except for Harvey Weinstein. But I mean, the rest of us listening to what, you know, women are, are saying and what, how relationships work. My point about Adam and Eve, I just finished this wonderful book about Adam and Eve uh, called The Rise and Fall of Adam and Eve by Stephen Greenblatt. And Stephen Greenblatt is a, a wonderful scholar and a wonderful writer that I admire very much. And I disagree with him a lot. Uh, uh, not a lot, but often at times I disagree with him. He's a Shakespeare expert. And he writes this book about Adam and Eve. And the narrative of his book about Adam and Eve is kind of this myth gets taken too seriously and then it gets so, is taken so seriously and is made so human that it finally occurs to people as science rises that it's all ridiculous and it then gets abandoned. But I have a totally different, I believe in both Darwin and the story of Adam and Eve. I believe both, both of these things are absolutely true. I believe the story of Adam and Eve is a story about who we are and it is God's story about who we are. I mean, think about it. You know, it's always very mysterious when people say, well, why didn't God want us to have the... Uh, eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Why didn't he want us to know good from evil? That doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. But I think if you think about it, one of the things that God keeps saying when he creates things is, is that they're good. He says, I made this world and it's good. The world is good, right? But when they started to see good and evil in a world that God declared good, they were seeing something that was less than he had made them to see. He had made them to see that his world, that all things work to the good, for those who love God, but instead they started putting themselves first, putting their judgments first, their judgments over God's knowledge that this whole thing somehow, even though it's painful sometimes for us, even though we can't understand it all the time, that this whole thing works to the good. The story of Adam and Eve is the story of our spirit. It's the story of our souls. It's our story of our march from innocence through knowledge back to God, back to becoming, as Jesus said, like children in the kingdom of heaven. That is the story. You know, uh, um, Greenblatt makes this point in his book that one of the things that happened to Darwin, Darwin used to love poetry. He loved Shakespeare. He loved Paradise Lost. He loved Milton. As he became more and more immersed in his theory, he, he lost his love of poetry. He couldn't read it anymore. And he said, I've become a machine for taking facts and making theories. That's all I am now. Well, the reason was he lost the narrative, okay? He got the facts. I salute him. They're wonderful. Science is a wonderful thing, but he lost the sense of purpose that people who believe in God have. That's why when we started, I opened the show with this guy saying that he used to be a weed and porn addicted atheist nihilist like everybody else. I love that line. That was one of my favorite things about the post. It's just like everybody else, like everybody. And then he found Christ and now he can't stop smiling. <laughs> We are moving forward in spirit. We're moving forward in spirit. And that is why when we look at the world as it is now, we know it's better than it was. It's better than it was because we have moved forward in spirit from the garden, hopefully back to the garden in a life beyond this. This is Columbus Day. We should be celebrating. We should be celebrating that the arts 
civilization, technology, wisdom, intelligence, reading, language, all came to this place of cannibalism and savagery and replaced it. I know that injustices were done. I know that bad things were done to people. I know that if it happened again to, tomorrow, bad things would happen again. But there's no going back. We don't want to go back. This is Columbus Day. Happy Columbus Day, and we'll see you again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Thank you.